This is a sermon given at St. David's Episcopal Church in Austin, Texas. Visit our website at stdave.org. Today is Christ the King Sunday. It is a high feast of the church where we celebrate this image of Jesus sitting on the throne at the right hand of God the Father. It is an image of Jesus having completed the work of salvation, the work of the redemption of the world, and all the world will come to the light of His grace, and it will be completed. This is this beautiful, beautiful image. It is curious to me, though, that this is the image that the church has landed on to hold on to as sort of the pinnacle of the image of Jesus. It's curious to me, given the biblical experience of monarchies. Monarchies are a mixed bag in the Bible. As a matter of fact, early on in the Hebrew people's relationship with God, there was no monarch. There was no king. In fact, they were prohibited. Once, once God delivered them with Moses as the shepherd out of the hands of a tyrannical king and pseudo-deity in Egypt, and delivered them to freedom, they were following God. And it was very clear that God was their king. Every step of the way, God was feeding them. God was caring for them. God was leading them into this promised land. So it's interesting. Moses and God have a conversation in the book of Deuteronomy about what the rules were going to be for this new people that God was creating once they entered into the land of promise. And God says there will come a day when the people are going to want a king because all the people around them will have kings And they will want a king as well. So when that happens, here's what the king should be like. But he's discouraging it. And for 450 years or so, the Hebrew people did not have kings. They had judges. God was their king. And they had judges who helped them sort out their life. And they had prophets who listened to the voice of the king. So never able to overlook the real king. Their human relationships were part of all of their service to the king of heaven. 450 years or so down the path, moved to the book of Samuel. God's having a conversation with Samuel. And the people are all about wanting a king. Because all the cool kids have kings. All the other countries have kings. We want a king. God said, yeah, this was coming. I told you this was coming. It's not going to be right, but I will acquiesce and let you have kings. So he gives instructions about how the kings should live their lives. And the rest of the record, read it yourself, First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, is a record of how well this went, this exercise in monarchy. And it went about as well as you would expect. It went kind of King of Thrones well, you know, kind of like that. Sometimes the kings were good. They listened to the voice of the prophets, and so they listened to the voice of God, and they really did strive to serve God and to be obedient to God. But more often than not, at least part of the time, the king would get more into being an earthly monarch. And all of the power and the control and the violence that was at the tip of their fingers was very attractive. It was a siren call. So the record has that some of the kings obeyed God and some of them disobeyed God. And even the good ones, 
you know, like Saul for a while, good. Then kind of went mad and crazy. Then David, good. Kind of the archetype of king. And yet, read his story, often not so good. So this is a mixed bag, right? This, this relationship with monarchy. The monarchs would just almost inevitably overlook their king, their true king, and take on the power and the authority and the wealth and the might that came with earthly kingship. So this is the mixed experience that the Hebrew people have had by the time we get to Jesus. Now you all remember that right then the Hebrew people have no actual authority over their own lives. They're a vassal state under the oppressive thumb of the Roman Empire. So any notion that they might have their own king was laughable. But it was a messianic age. They were ripe for a savior. Someone who would come and deliver them from this tyrannical rule yet again, just like from Egypt. Here we are again. Who will save us? And the language was Messiah, shepherd, king. So when Jesus begins to teach and people begin to follow Jesus and they begin to listen to Jesus, it is not surprising that they begin to think about him as Messiah, liberator, king. Well, just a little chat about monarchy in the Roman Empire puts you on the radar screen of the Roman Empire. (laughs) So Jesus, as you know, is arrested. He stands before Pilate. And Pilate's question to him was, So, you're a king, are you? To which Jesus just replied, you say that I'm a king. But this is why I'm here. He doesn't embrace royal language. He embraces the language of savior, redeemer, liberator, but one who has not overlooked the true king. One who is obedient only to God. Listening only to the voice of God. And so Pilate does what you would expect, sees this as a threat, he clothes Jesus in a garment, puts a crown of thorns on his head, beats him to near death, and then brings him out for all the Hebrew people to see and says, behold your king. This is your king. So it's curious, isn't it, that this is a feast of the church, that this is our highest image of Jesus. But when I think about the Christ the King art and I think about the Christ the King windows, it's always in glorious raiment. It's never him dressed as a mockery of a king. It's just a curious thing. And I think we know it. I think we know it in the Christian church. At the one hand, we want this big, beautiful image, and I do too, because it feels like freedom and salvation of Christ King on the throne. And yet the church knows in her life, in her long wisdom, that that's not the image that helps us overlook the true king. And so, right here on Christ the King Sunday, we get Jesus' take on kingship. Jesus, 25th chapter of Matthew, things are gone very south. He is now on the radar screen of the Roman Empire. He is about to be arrested. He's about to be crucified. And he says, this is what it's going to look like. When the Son of Man comes, he says, he will be seated on his throne. So all the big image, right? All the big image of a a monarch. Seated on his throne, everybody is bowing down and worshiping. He brings the people in to his right, 
to his left. And he says to those on his right hand, come into the kingdom that has been prepared for you since the foundation of the world. Because, it's a very interesting because, not because you bowed down to me, not because you worshiped me, not because you yielded to my authority, but because I was hungry and you fed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was, in, I was lonely and you visited me. I was in prison and you took care of me. They rightly say, what? When did we ever see you in this condition? He said, whenever you've done it to the least of these, you've done it unto me. Likewise, he says to those on the left, those of you on the left, away from me to the place prepared for you. Because I was hungry and you did not feed me. I was thirsty. You gave me nothing to drink. I was lonely in prison. You didn't care for me. Likewise, they said, when was this? When did this happen? And he said, whenever you didn't do it to the least of these, you did not do it to me. So it's fascinating. Right now we've got this image of, of a, a singular king, Jesus, son of God, king of kings, lord of lords, and he shall reign forever. But Jesus himself says, you're overlooking the king. The king is actually right beside you. The king is the person to your left and to your right. Yes, that annoying person to your left and to your right is the king. I've recently just rediscovered the poetry of Gerard Manley Hopkins. I had a pastoral reason to learn about this for a funeral yesterday. So I was studying some poetry this week and discovered this poem that I think helps us today on Christ the King Sunday. The poem's title is, As Kingfishers Catch Fire. As kingfishers catch fire, dragonflies draw flame, as tumbled over rim and roundly wells stones ring. Like each tucked string tells, each hung bell's bow swung finds tongue to fling out broad its name. Each mortal thing does one thing and the same. Deals out that being indoors, each one dwells. Selves, goes itself. Myself, it speaks and spells, crying, what I do is me. For that I came. I say more. The just man justices, keeps grace, that keeps all his goings graces, acts in God's eye what in God's eye he is, Christ. For Christ plays in 10,000 places, lovely in limbs and lovely in eyes, not his, to the Father through the features of men's faces. For Christ plays in 10,000 places, to the Father through the features of human faces. Christ the King, this beautiful image, cling to it, hold to it, as a thing that, upon which we focus our lives and our service, but not at the risk of distancing us from that and distancing us from each other. Instead, Christ is King when you see the face of Christ in 10,000 places. When you look to the person to your left and your right right this minute, and say, 
Behold my king. When you walk out of this place and you see random people that you've never met and think, Behold my king. And dare I even say, when you go home and look in the mirror, see your own face. Behold my king. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. You can find more lectures and sermons on iTunes by searching for St. David's Episcopal Church in Austin, Texas, or visit our website at stdave.org and click on the podcast button.